0: What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Change Creator Podcast show. Thank you for joining today. We have a very special guest, someone that we actually met at the 2017 SOCAP conference for impact investing. Uh, It was a great conference, and we came across a powerful speech from Sonia Renee Taylor. Um, She is the founder and what she calls radical executive officer of The Body Is Not an Apology. And she is r- pushing an international movement committed to radical self-love and body empowerment. And it is, a, in her mind, the foundational tool for social justice and global transformation. And she really caught our attention, and she has a very powerful message. And right now, she's also the author of a book called The Body is Not an Apology, uh, The Power of Radical Self-Love. And she's an award-winning performance poet she's an activist and an incredible transformational leader and her movement is just continuing to expand globally around the world as she continues to make waves so we're excited to dive into hear more about what she's doing and her ideas around radical self-love and how this drives social justice and global transformation now as i mentioned we did meet sonia at socap and You know, in addition to meeting Sonia, we actually, um, you know, as a byproduct of being out in San Francisco, that's how we met uh, Dr. Muhammad Yunus. He's a Nobel Peace Prize winner for anyone that doesn't happen to know him. And he was on the cover of our last magazine. Um, So getting out to these conferences, you just, you can meet so many incredible people. It's a powerful way to network and expand your business and partnerships. So we did put together a special edition, which is now available in the app for you guys as a resource and it's called Events That Matter. And our goal is to make it an ongoing resource. So now anytime you need to, you just pop open the app, see what the next conference is. Um, and you, know, you can go check out the details and register and do all that stuff. So it's all there in one place and easily accessible. And it'll keep being updated. So we're gonna send notifications as we add new events. And there are a number of new events that we're looking to add very soon. So keep an eye out, check out the new edition, download the app. For anyone that's not a subscriber yet and you're just listening, Um, You can visit us us over at www.changecreator.com and you'll find a bunch of information about the magazine and the app and you can get a four week, that's a one month Free trial. You just dive in and you have a whole month to read the editions um, and check it out. So definitely stop by and anyone listening here for the magazine and podcast, leave us a review on iTunes or Google Play or Stitcher, depending on what you're doing. And we really appreciate it. It goes a long way. All right. So, guys, without further ado, let's dive into this conversation with Sonia. I know you're going to dig this. Hey, Sonia, thanks for joining the Change Creator Podcast Show. How are you doing today?
1: I am doing great. Thanks so much for having me. You're very welcome. I'm excited.
0: I, um, you know, once I heard your talk at SOCAP this uh, past September, right, Um, we knew we had to talk to you. So I'm glad we were able to connect.
1: I'm really glad too. I can't believe that was September and it's December and it feels like it was yesterday.
0: I know. That's why I had to think about it. I'm like, (laughs) wow, where's the time going? Right. Um, well, I gotta tell you, you have a way with words. I know you have some awards, and uh, what is it called? It was a uh, Def Jam Poetry or stuff like that. Is that is that the right title?
1: <laughs> yes, I mean that's way back in the day, a TV show, um, which now I'm actually a little ashamed of being affiliated with. Cause it, was, <laughs> it was put on by Russell Simmons, who's going down in the sexual assault charges category. Oh, so. Wow yeah but uh yes i was on deaf poetry jam back in the day <laughs> yeah
0: yeah yeah okay okay got a little history there but um it certainly <laughs> has become quite an art form and and i mean i gotta tell you the the talk at SoCap was pretty brilliant so you know we're gonna get into um a little bit of your background i always like to start off so before your current, you know, project um business, whatever you want to call it, right? The body is not an apology. I love it. Um can you just tell me like what was going on in your life before that and I'd like to connect the dots on how you got into The Body Is Not An Apology.
1: Sure. So, um Before the body is not an apology. I was, um, making my career as a performance poet. So that sort of explains a little bit the why I was on (laughs) deaf poetry jam. (laughs) Um, so I've been writing and performing poetry, um, professionally for the last 14 years. Um, and, uh, through, the, I w- I'd like to say that the body is not an apology. Is really birthed out of, um, out of out of the world of poetry and and the world of human relationship and the way those two things sort of merged. Um, I talk about in in my in my um, upcoming book uh, how. Literally, The Body is Not an Apology was a conversation with a friend that became a poem, that became a Facebook page, that became a movement, that became a company Um, in a really uh, unexpected and unintentional way mm. um, which I think oftentimes is how fate works yep. you don't necessarily mean to do a thing but <laughs> but yeah. yet a thing is being done yes uh, <laughs> and, you know. so yeah I was um, on a poetry slam team back in 2010 uh, and I was um, at a competition competition in Knoxville Tennessee um, and was in the hotel room having a conversation with a good friend of mine. Um, that team was really diverse. There we were, um, you know, uh, Tamil and black and white and queer and disabled and able-bodied and just really sort of a multiplicity of identities and bodies. And I was having a conversation with one of my teammates um, who had cerebral palsy, and she was telling me that she was concerned that she might have an unintended pregnancy, and I'm nosy. I just, you know, I get in my friend's business um, from a place from a place of love, uh, <laughs> but I definitely, I definitely sort of started asking her um, about this partner and about why she had decided to be, um, why she decided to not use. Um, protection or condoms with this partner who who was just a casual partner and she said to me that because her disability made it difficult for her to be sexual she didn't feel entitled to ask the person to use a condom and I said to her in the conversation your body is not an apology it is not something you offer to someone to say sorry for my disability right and when I said those words, they just they stuck. You know, they stuck with me. They stuck with her. Something about them just really deeply resonated. Um, and I'm I'm a poet, so I was like, mm, I think that's going to become a poem. <laughs> I think there's <laughs> something in there. there's something in there to unpack. And so I wrote a poem called "The Body Is Not an Apology," um, and I started kind of performing it around, you know, around the country and my sets and those sorts of things. But I, I really believe that language has the power to create and that oftentimes as we speak a thing, we are literally creating it in real time. Um, and I think that that poem was creating me. It was reminding me, Every time I said it, I had to become aware of the ways either in which I was in alignment with what I was saying or the ways in which I was um, not in alignment with what I was saying. Uh, and so I ended up... So one of the areas of tension or one of the rubs was that I had this selfie in my phone that I'd been holding onto for months, and I loved the selfie. It was a photo of me getting dressed for an event, and I had on this little black corset. And I felt really sexy, um, but I also felt um, sort of the intensity of what I like to call the outside voice inside of us. It's that... It's that voice of shame, that voice that your people will judge you. Don't you dare put that out there? That kind of self-criticizing voice. Oh yeah, was also very loud. Um, and it was telling me don't share the photo and so I didn't share the photo all the while walking around the world performing the body is not an apology <laughs> 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 and I think body is not an apology was like um yeah that's not going to work pumpkin uh, <laughs> <laughs> you hypocrite <laughs> uh, right exactly and so I got um, one night I was like alright I think I'm going to share this photo someone shared a photo on my Facebook page of a plus sized model um in a black you know and I looked her up and she was she had just signed a lingerie contract and was in this black corset mm. um, and I was like oh wait a minute someone someone paid this woman a lot of money to put her juicy thighs all over the internet I'm going to post my <laughs> photo <laughs> So um, so, I posted the photo, and in it, I said, "I'm 230 pounds. I have a terrible tattoo I got when I was 20. Don't be like me, um, but do <laughs> post a photo where you feel empowered and beautiful in your body." And the next morning, I woke up, and about uh, 30 people had tagged me in photos. Um, Super cool! Yeah. So they followed your
0: your 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 action. You, you did the post, and they're all like, "Oh," and they just kind of went
1: with it. Right. Well, and it was it was you know it was a series of people following other people's actions. I followed the action of this plus size model. Then other people followed the action of me. And then someone followed the action of them. And so, you know, for me, it was really testing out my theory that like radical self love is contagious, just like body shame is contagious. Yeah. And we get to decide what it is we want to spread.
0: But how did you I noticed this? This is obviously a very common problem um, for men and women. It's you know, this, um, superficial, I guess, perspective and it's, well, do I look fat and do I look okay? And you're so worried about what everyone thinks. How did you, Mm -hmm. I mean, there, it's one thing to understand that you should not worry about it. Like you could be the smartest person in the world and you may, you get that idea. That's not something you should stress about. But you do. So how do you come o- overcome that mental block? Like, is there, is there anything that you found helpful besides just maybe you just had that perspective flip? I'm just curious how you handle that.
1: Um, well, so the way that we talk about it, right, is that we live in a system of body shame indoctrination. Mm. The world... Um, makes a lot of money off of convincing us to hate ourselves. Uh, And so from one of the things that we encourage people to do is to think about what we say is whose agenda is your self-hate? That criticism that you have for yourself, where did it come from and who's benefiting from it? Because once we realize that actually that negative, that voice of body shame, that voice of, of, um, not enoughness is actually not our inherent voice. It's not actually, it's not actually who we really know ourselves to be, but it's what we've been told. Um, once we recognize that we've been told that for reasons that are, are at their core about power and money, um we become a little bit more invested in divesting from that system once you realize you're totally being taken advantage of you kind of don't want to be taken advantage of anymore <laughs> you get a little mad about it right like get it yeah, nah, nah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so there's this activation that happens by recognizing that that inner voice that voice of criticism and shame is part of a much larger system that is not only keeping you diminished and small, but is keeping an entire framework of oppression and injustice in place. And so when we recognize our small part of dismantling oppression and injustice is to dismantle those messages of body shame inside of us, we get a little bit more committed to do it.
0: Yeah, I love that. That's great. Um, It's such a powerful perspective. And I think so many people forget to remember how they're being conditioned. I mean, there's so many external uh, conditioning factors that come into play with advertising magazines and they're telling you what's, what's beautiful and what's not when really it's all relative and it's whatever you want it to be. So it's insane to follow along.
1: And it's all day long, you know, we say from the time you wake up in the morning until the time you go to bed till you turn off your phone at night and close your eyes, you are inundated with messages that tell you to compare yourself to other bodies, that your body is deficient and buy this thing so that it will stop being. Um, (laughs) And so our work our you know like our work is to to be so in touch with our own internal sense of radical self-love that those those external voices we have more control over their volume inside of us wow. how loud we play
0: okay and so can you tell me a little bit more i know you know on your on your in your literature on your website and stuff you talk about how this, you know, deep radical self-love is the foundation to creating sustainable social change, um, and transformation. So c- how do they tie those together? So you start loving yourself. How does that tie into community, social change, all that stuff? I, I, I have an idea, but I would like to hear you talk about that.
1: Totally. So we, you know, I was listening to this really interesting podcast last night, um, called uh seeing white um and it's a i think it's like a 16 series podcast that explores how whiteness was created in the context of the u.s Mm. Uh, uh and one of the things that they said that i thought was fascinating and so very true right is that we often think of um racism very specifically as this uh function of interpersonal um issues right like Race, that racism is about individual people not liking each other and that kind of thing. Um, whereas actually, that is not actually the history of racism. That The history of racism is that race as a construct was created as, as a way to validate the exchange of, of human bodies as slaves, right? And so actually, like, the, the thing that came first was, oh, we need to exploit people's labor. So the system came first. And then it was like, oh, well, how do we validate the system? We validate the system by saying that these particular people are subhuman. And so it's okay for us to do this to them. So it's not a function, right? So the structural thing happened first. And then people, then they gave people ideas to rationalize that horrific structure. Right. We have internalized those messages and and so when we talk about the body if the body is not an apology we're not just talking about do you think you're beautiful we're not just talking about you know uh, are you' you know are you uncomfortable wearing a size 14 we're talking about all the ways that bodies show up on this planet and all the messages that we have received about what bodies are good bodies and what bodies are bad bodies and that is conversation has to be a conversation about race. It has to be a conversation about disability. It has to be a conversation about queerness and fatness and transness and all of the other ways that our bodies exist on the planet. And so when we look at the social and structural, the systemic issues of oppression in this world, what we are looking at is an indoctrination into beliefs about certain bodies to validate the ways in which we oppress those bodies.
0: Wow. Yeah. I mean, that makes a lot of sense. And I can see it too. It's kind of like you almost reverse, well, is it reverse engineering, but kind of like, kind of flipping the script a little bit just to, to kind of sh- shift people's perspectives to think about themselves and when you start shifting how you think about yourself it starts changing the external stuff as well kind of right exactly it's kind of like a, yeah you begin to see
1: the world differently right. you're like oh that judgment that i have about that judgment i have about my body i don't just have judgments about my body i have judgments about your body and that judgment about your body lives in a sphere of influence. One of the funniest memes I ever saw in life was uh, a meme on Facebook that said, like, you know, it's not a big, my um, my uncle's a racist, but, you know, it, his opinions aren't impacting anybody. And then the person underneath it was like, well, what is your fault? What does your uncle do? And then it was like, oh, he's a mortgage lender. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, there you go.
1: Right? And so there are these. We assume that these deeply held beliefs that we have about other bodies only live inside of us. And the reality is that we we are being used to uphold those systems and structures of bodily oppression based off of those beliefs. And so as we transform them inside of us. We see the world differently. We actually see the way we've not only adopted them about ourselves, but we see the ways in which we've adopted them about other bodies. And then we actually have some efficacy and autonomy over interrupting those patterns.
0: Yeah. So you'll behave differently, too, because once your perspective, you think differently, you behave differently, right?
1: We say that change is a thinking, doing, being process. Yeah. We actually have be in touch with our thoughts then we have to intentionally act in different ways and from that different thinking and different acting we have a different way of being in the world but we can't create outside in the world what we have not figured out how to access inside of us
0: exactly i love that yeah that's great um so okay so you got these 30 people to take the pictures where where did the body is not an apology go from there
1: so I, I was like, oh, wow, all these people took these photos. I guess we should have a place where we can put them. Uh, so um, so I was like, oh, I'll start a little Facebook page. And since I have this poem called The Body is Not an Apology, which feels like it matches up with this little photo thing we're doing, I will call the Facebook page The Body is Not an Apology. Right. Um, and so... I started a Facebook page. It was called "The Body's Not Apology." It started with 30 people, um, and then it was 300 people. Then it was 3,000 people. Then it was 30,000 people. And what I was doing there every day was simply um, sharing, you know, content that felt related to these ideas. Um, sharing, uh, I, you know, just sharing things. Um, But it started getting so much bigger than me. Um, And so maybe I would say about, well, no, actually what happened next was the words created another space where I was being challenged about the way in which I was not living in alignment to what I was waking up and saying every day. Um, And this particular area was around um, some specific body shame that I had about my hair. Black women and hair is a pretty big <laughs> deal. Okay. Uh, it's a it's, it's it's own well there are there's an entire film about it called Good Hair by Chris Rock. <laughs> because it's a huge industry and there's a lot of um, there's a lot of history tied to it that is uh, not just about hair, It's actually about race and racism and all sorts of interesting things. Um, and so anyway, I had a lot of hair shame because I had developed um, what's called traction alopecia when I was in third grade. Um, and so I had permanent bald spots on the sides of my hair. Okay. Uh, and I had a lot of shame. And so every day I woke up and put on a wig and I'd been doing that for over a decade. And I realized I was like, "Well, that that feels like not actually in alignment with the body (laughs) is (laughs) not (laughs) an apology." I was like, "So okay, so in order to continue to be in integrity with this message, I've got to tackle that." Um, And so I was like, all right, well, what's the scariest thing I could do? Um, And I was like, the scariest thing I could do is be bald in the world because my belief is that I cannot be beautiful without hair. So Mm. I was like, all right, I'm going to take on my scariest belief and I'm going to shave my head and be bald for 30 days um, in the world. And I'm going to uh, sort of. Structure the foundation of this by inviting some friends to come over and participate in a ceremony with me so that I can launch off this big scary thing that I'm going to do. And then I'm going to and then I'm going to record it for 30 days and share the videos on YouTube so that people can watch me in the process. Um, And I will call this project Ruckus, Radically Unapologetic Healing Challenge for Us. (laughs) And uh, so I created a ruckus, (laughs) uh, which is... um, a 30-day transformational healing project and that became the first major project of the body is not an apology and after I did it um I you know invited other people to create ruckuses around things they wanted to um strengthen and challenge and grow in their lives uh and I looked up and people around the country and around the world had started doing ruckus projects and so um so there were all of these pieces that were being built around the body is not an apology that were a function um, of my desire to live into the work, like my attempt to like be in integrity with this message that I was sharing. Yeah. Um, so that happened about five months after that, actually that happened on July 4th of 2011. Uh, and I had started the body is the, the Facebook page on February 9th of 2011. Um, that summer I brought on an intern to help me run the page because it was becoming a little bit too much for me to do by myself. Um, and then I hired another intern to look at these, you know, at this point, 20,000 people who liked the page and were engaging. Um, and so we just kept growing people would come to me and say, Hey, I really love these ideas that you're talking about. I have a thing that I wrote that I think fits into this. Can I write something? for the body is not an apology. And I was like, sure. Uh, And so then one day I looked up and I had a team of writers of about six writers who were interested in writing for the body is not an apology. And then I had someone who was like, I really love these ideas. I want to facilitate a group with my community around it. Can I start a the body's not an apology support group? And I said, sure. Start a support group. (laughs) Please. Please. So then there were body not apology support groups. So the it was building itself. And I was sort of shepherding the ideas, um. but it was building itself around me. Um, and then in about summer of 2014, um, I started, or actually the fall of 2013, um, we started, I started noticing that we were beginning to like be, the words were beginning to be out in the world, but they were not connected to to us or the page, mm, and okay. and people were, you know, people, I was like, oh, people are using this to just do whatever it is they want to <laughs> do. So I was like, oh, people are totally gonna start selling diet products under the body is not an apology, and all sorts of other things. And so it became clear to me that I was gonna have to formalize this structure if I wanted it to stay in integrity with the message. Okay. Um, so, And the other thing that was happening at the same time is we were being suspended from Facebook. Like every week we got kicked off of Facebook. (laughs) Um, Surprisingly enough, Facebook isn't a particularly body positive platform. Um, And uh, so one, they had problems with, you know, content that shows bodies. So you can. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So at the time. You could have a page called literally. You could have a page called titties, 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 with just like close-ups of girls <laughs> and peeing. But you could not have a photo of uh, um, Senegalese tribal women topless. Right. Oh God. Right. Like that sort of like absurd, like absolute contradiction. Um, but then also they would be suspending us for messages that were countering racism or white supremacy. They were it, Facebook's algorithms are. Fascinating, but I mean, really, what it is is that if we haven't examined these ideas, everything we create will have them baked into them. So Facebook's algorithms have all of Facebook's uninter interrogated biases right. baked in. You know, uh, excuse me. So yeah, yeah. So I was like, all right, we have to build our own platform, and yeah. so we we launched a crowdfunding campaign. Um, and raised $43,000 and built the body is not an apology.com.
0: Okay. So that leaves me with a couple questions for you because you shared lots of interesting stuff. So the first thing is, you know, um, we're talking to an audience of young, uh, entrepreneurs or aspiring entrepreneurs. And you're right. As things pick up, you start saying, I can't do this all myself anymore. Where did you find interns? And my question about the interns is, did you find it to become more of a, uh, a time suck in having to train interns who don't have business experience, or did you find it to be a
1: valuable experience? Um, I found the interns for those in the order you asked them. <laughs> I yeah, found yeah. Um, the interns. I literally just created a job description. Hey, this is what I need someone to do. Um, this is the work that we do on this page. Yeah, send yeah. me a resume. Um, whatever and I actually ended up meeting our first intern um, at a workshop that I did at Georgetown University Um, she was she was a in 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 the workshop and came up to me afterwards and saw the request on the page um, and was like I'd love to do this so that's how I found the first intern I would offer that two things one We were not yet a business when I found these people. We were a Facebook page, (laughs) right? And so um, I didn't need people who had business experience. We were not monetized. We weren't doing anything that was making money. I needed people who understood the lens and perspective of The Body is Not an Apology so that they could translate that on a regular basis Um, and so that they could communicate the sort of ethos and the vision behind the work. Right. and that takes its own set of training, right? And I think that that there are two pieces about that that entrepreneurs should be thinking about is how do we find people who are mission aligned and who have the skills, right? In whatever area it is, we we need those skills. Um, and so it would have been much harder to take someone who you know who was really deeply embedded and indoctrinated into this to beliefs about good bodies and bad bodies and deeply steeped into a body hierarchy. Um, and try to figure out how to change them than it would be to find someone who comes with those ideas and teach them how to manage a page and moderate and those sorts of things. Sure. So that, you know, like it's easier to teach skills than it is to teach values. And so, I love for that. Us-
0: that's a quote. Hold on. That's a quote. Yeah, okay. I'm right
1: <laughs> right. <laughs> teach
0: <laughs> Skills then values. That's good. I like that. Thank you. Sorry. Go ahead. No,
1: no worries. Um, so, yeah. So, I I think throughout The Body Is Not An Apology, we found people who are values aligned and who have the core competencies to learn the skills that they needed to learn. Mm,
0: yeah, very cool. And these were not paid interns. They were coming in saying, it's- hey
1: yeah these were all volunteer interns in the beginning i love um, them
0: because you find yeah. people to your point that are believe in what you're doing so they want to contribute and help so that works yeah. and they are yeah.
1: only there because they really care well, well,
0: there's another one they're only there because they because they care <laughs> That's awesome. And, you know, we've had that at Change Creator. So I I love hearing how, you know, and what I tell people, too, is like, you know, you start a social business when you have real mission, real purpose, you're going to find that people will want to help you. Um, And it's not always about just getting paid for a job. They want to help you because they just really like what you're doing. And our whole team, you know, this is how I started, too, is people would just reach out and say, hey, can I get involved? And it's like, yeah, of course you can. (laughs) You know, right? totally. (laughs) so you also mentioned that you had to formulize this because it was kind of like people were saying, hey, cool, I like this. And they would just like do their own thing. What do you mean when you say you had to formalize it in order to, I guess, make it a real thing? Right.
1: So um, I said form- formalize it. Right. Uh, meaning I, we had to make it an actual business structure. Um, it was it was. I was clear that in order to have any sort of, and it was, you know, it was frustrating for me because I never wanted, I didn't want to own the body is not an apology. I just didn't want, um, you know, uh, someone else to uh, own it, Unilever Unilever or Weight Watchers to own the body is not an apology, um, Right. And so in order to protect the intention and integrity out of which it was created, you know, that's the challenging system we live in. Right. The system of sort of capitalism and ownership means that if you don't own it, someone else will. Um, And and so in order to keep the integrity, um, I had to, you know, formalize the business entity. And so, you know, I found a lawyer. Well, the first thing that happened was there was a magazine and it was using the body is not an apology as, as the name of one of its spreads, mm. um, but without any attribution or anything like that. So I put on Facebook, all right, y'all, what do I do? And I luckily yeah. I, have friend, I have a friend who was like, who's a lawyer who was like, I'll send a cease and desist letter. Um, and so, uh, yeah, it became clear. It was like, oh, we're going to have to put some, put some concrete, organizational structure around this if we want to maintain the integrity of intention of the work um so yeah i hired a lawyer and um we began the process of figuring out what sort of entity we would be and why um and then began building that out gotcha yeah no that makes sense okay
0: yeah and i mean and if you don't have it formalized as you mentioned um as a business entity or trademarked um Then, when someone does use it, you couldn't even do anything about it anyway. Yeah.
1: Yeah. You have no control. And so, and because it was clear to me that. It was resonating with people. I mean, it was clear that it was resonating because people were using it. <laughs> you right, know, people, right. And so I was like, oh, that means that someone will find it and they will do something with it that is not at all in alignment with the vision. Exactly.
0: Exactly. Okay. So um, we're at 30 minutes. I do have one more thing I'd love to cover if you have a yeah. few more minutes. Okay. Great.
1: I do. So,
0: I'd like to talk a little bit about your crowdfunding campaign. I mean, listen, Sonia. So everybody is always. Stressed about the money, you know they mm-hmm. they don't have a lot to get started, and then when you do start, you realize you're gonna have to put some money into the machine if you want to get something out. Um, mm-hmm. So you know, even when you know, listen, our team has even thought about crowdfunding campaigns and it comes down to a decision of do we have the time and resources because it becomes a full-time project so i'd love to hear a little bit about how you approached it um and how big of a team you had and just some of those details that might help others and you know understand that process
1: totally um i'm i did a crowdfunding campaign because i didn't know how horrible it would be (laughs) (laughs) There you go. See, I knew it. (laughs) Um, I'm joking and not joking. Um, Yeah, so it was, I was, you know, the traditional sort of roots of um, entrepreneurship uh, are pretty narrow and particularly more narrow the further away you are from sort of... um, what we talk about in the body is not an apology. Is the default body. I am not a straight, able-bodied white man, um, and that is the default body of entrepreneurship in the United States. Uh, it's the it's the body that attracts capital. It's the body. You know, I opened the SoCap conference with a slide that a graph that showed the difference between the average failed startup that receives $1.1 million in startup funds, um, and the average startup run by a woman of color, um, Specifically, I think this slide was a black woman, and it was $36,000 in startup funds. Okay. And so that's, like, that's the landscape I was walking into. I didn't have, uh, you know, friends and family. Um, I didn't have an uncle who was going to give me $70,000 in startup funds, you know? Right. And so um, the question was, well, how do we raise this money to build this platform? And... At this point, the Body is Not an Apology already had a following. We already had a team of folks who were contributing their time and volunteering and working with us. We already had a bit of an infrastructure. um, And I had seen a team the year before successfully pull off a crowdfunding campaign of $165,000. And these were people that I knew and had relationships with. Um, And so I was like, okay, well, I know people who did this. Um, So, you know, I think we're going to we're going to ask this money from our community. Okay. In this way, Um, I did. Like I said, I did not know how much time and effort and capacity uh, crowdfunding campaign takes at the time. Um, You know, and I'm grateful that I did it. You know, like I said, the body is not an apology, really, as an entity, really presses you um, to explore all the ways in which you're not in alignment with the message. Yeah. Um, and and when we talk about bodies, we also talk about bodies not just as a physical form, but our emotional and spiritual and mental selves as well. And so that crowdfunding campaign surfaced all sorts of really important areas of healing in my life um, <laughs> around money, around what is it to ask for help, all of these things that needed um, that needed to be Start up in order for me to better live this, um, framework. Um, and I got to explore all of those during that crowdfunding
0: campaign. <laughs> right. Okay. Wow. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, so what did you crowdfund?
1: So we crowdfunded initially, we used Indiegogo and we crowdfunded, we were raising $80,000. Um, that was to build the platform that at that time I had priced out to be about $40,000 and then to have $40,000 to be, at least begin to provide um, stipends to the volunteers who were helping run the body, it's not an apology. Okay. Um, we raised half of that, we raised $43,000 um, and we used that to build, um, to build the website. Uh, and then from that point, you know, the question was, all right, well, how do we monetize this thing? Cause yeah. it costs, now it costs money. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. Now you're in the hole. <laughs> now we have bills. So how do, how do we monetize? And then, um, that's when I began thinking about, uh, all right, so what's the business structure? What's our business model? Um, and we've played around with a multitude of things. Um, uh, and right now we are a sort of, um, subscription-based platforms and and ad revenue is our primary um, mm-hmm. our primary revenue model as well as um, workshops, live appearances, right. those sorts of things as well. Uh, so yeah, we just you know uh, initially we were like ad revenue will be how we do it, and we thought that that was going to be the game, but the ad revenue market changed drastically for digital platforms, um, and so then we we had already begun building out all of these educational, um, materials. So workshops and webinars and e-courses. So we started building and developing those things. Um, but they were going to take a much sort of longer, um, runway to kick off. And so we were like, what's a revenue model that can put money in the bank on a monthly basis so that we can cover bills. And, um, and I, as an entrepreneur did a lot of bootstrapping and, um, putting into the body is not an apology.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I love it. So yeah, I see you have all these, these are the ruckus packages. I see then you have some ads and stuff. So, um, but you can't do ads unless you have a big audience. So how'd you get the audience to have the ads?
1: We've been, you know, like I said, the benefit is that the body is not an apology started, um, three years before it, before we moved to our own building so we took an audience we took an audience with us yep. um right now we see about 300,000 visitors a month directly on the site wow. um and you know and still growing at our our busiest month we saw 700,000 um visitors wow. and so we are you know pushing and growing and the work is to put out powerful um resonant content that makes people want to come and read the work of the body's not apology i
0: love it i love it Well, listen, I just want to shout out your book, too. You got The Body is Not an Apology, The Power of Radical Self-Love, coming out February 2018. You can get a real deep dive and inside look at everything that Sonia is talking about. Um, Sonia, I'm going to just also point people to your uh, website, which is thebodyisnotanapology.com. Sonia, thank you so much for your time. This was a really fun conversation, and I appreciate it.
1: I am super glad uh, to get a chance to talk to you. Thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it.
0: All right. Till next time. We'll talk to you later. Thank you.
1: All right. Bye bye.